doesn't that music just make you happy? It makes me so happy. You know why? Because now we get to start the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. So great to be with you. Here we are. I don't even know how many days, but it's like way too soon until Christmas. And it stresses me out because I am way behind on so many things. But I'm not going to let that get to me because we're going to have a great Indiana Outdoor Show and it's all going to come together. I hope. Nonetheless, what a great show we have today. I love passion projects. I love people that make their vocation their vacation. Pick any cliche, trite statement you want. But Kristen Hodge is going to join me in just a little bit. She is a veteran summiteer of Kilimanjaro on raising money for some schools over there. And I'm not going to steal her thunder, but I invited her to share her next adventure and how all this comes together. It's a beautiful story. Uh, Hopefully you find the same. Josh Hall with Ducks Unlimited, one of my favorite organizations. All of these organizations, these conservation groups, need your year-end contributions, and they rely on all that good stuff. But DU, one of my favorites, so we're going to catch up. And then a little later on, we're going to get a waterfowl preview from Adam Phelps, who is our uh, migratory bird biologist and i want to find out what the uh, prognosis is from the biological standpoint see i'm just dumb i just don't know so i call him up and he's going to be with me a little later on in the indiana outdoor show i hope you found some time to create some space in your life and if this is that moment then we're going to try to celebrate uh that because it's a little crowded a little hectic this time of the year and a lot of people get way preoccupied with some of the the bad stuff maybe you find yourself in field and forest it's always a good place if you need a little refuge that's what we do we talk about that so it's a great big show i don't want to take too much time away because i want Kristen to share her story about this great uh project that she's raising money for now attempting her fifth trip to Kilimanjaro, raising a whole bunch of money for some pretty desperate situations in Nairobi, Kenya. So it is the Indiana Outdoor Show, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to SaveLives.org. Kristen Hodge, Kilimanjaro, right after this. It is that time of the year. Well, it's that time of the week. It's the Indiana Outdoor Show, but it's also the greatest part of the year. Hopefully, you remember the reason for this season and gift-giving opportunities. We've talked about that with our Department of Natural Resources and all the stuff they've got. We have all these philanthropies and great organizations. You're going to hear a little bit later from Ducks Unlimited and how important the work that they do. But let's make this a personal conversation. A longtime friend of mine, Kristen Hodge, is... uh, well, she's just kind of a badass, right, Kristen? Is that, we're we're going to go with that. You uh, you are getting ready to do, uh, you know I love mountains. You know I love mountain climbing. I, like you, yeah, have done some treks. Too. I've never done a 20,000-foot peak. But how many times have you done Kilimanjaro now? Well, this will be my third time. Well, I love that. So we're going to introduce you properly, not just as my friend, but also mm. you have a great story here. And I think this is mm. wonderful. Not only, you know, you're, you're female, but you like to trek, you like these adventures, you go on all these things, and you found a, a passion project in Africa. And I wanted to let you introduce yourself a little bit here, longtime Hoosier resident, and you find yourself in in Africa three times now, uh, climbing Kilimanjaro, but you're not doing it for your health. Tell us all about it and tell me about the project. 
Yeah. Oh, gosh. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. This is one of my favorite topics on the mountain and the kids that uh, we're climbing for. So this will be, uh, like you said, my third time up Kilimanjaro. Um, this is our fifth climb for Missions of Hope International, which is an amazing school in Nairobi, Kenya. I was introduced uh, I about Six years ago now, I responded to a random email to climb Kilimanjaro for a school in Kenya where uh, girls, if they don't uh, get an opportunity to go to school, they're sold for the bride price at 13 years old, uh, usually to men that are 65. And I have three daughters. I have three daughters, and I just could not believe that um, that children were, are still sold. That was in the year, gosh, that was 2016, and I just couldn't believe that children were still sold uh, into into uh, marriages. And so the opportunity when we climbed that year was to raise money for uh, additional school classrooms to be built for the school. And um, when I visited uh, the first time Missions of Hope, I realized that this was not not an ordinary place. Uh, they organization started with 50 kids uh, in the year 2000, 50 preschool students. And today, um, the organization is 26,000 students in 32 schools across Kenya. Um, in one of the largest slums of the world. So it's 26,000 students in 32 schools. Wow. 14 of those schools are in one of the largest slums of the world. It's called the Mathari slum. Wow. And I just fell in love with these kids. Uh, it it changed my life when I met them. The joy that they have is, um, talk about tasting and seeing. Like the joy of these kids is just, it, it's life changing. I don't understand how they have this much joy when, when they really, and the joy of the people really when they don't have anything, but they just have a deep faith and a deep love for one another and for community and I um, I just was transformed when I walked through the slums the first time. And I, even though the, the trek up Mount, up Mount Kilimanjaro the first time was a struggle, uh, I, uh, I, I swore I was never going to go back. And three years later, I was leading a climb of 30 people to, to climb for the school again. Yeah, I understand that experience because I've been on top of several 14ers and you have that mountaintop experience. But then about the time a day goes by and you get your legs back underneath you when you said, I'll never do that again. You're like, yeah, I got a little climbing fog. I'm, I'm OK to go again. I, I understand okay. how that works. Yeah. I joke like it's like having kids, right? There's a reason there's three years between me right. and my kids. Like That's a very good analogy, actually, and it's very appropriate. Kristen Hodge is our guest. She's Indianapolis native, and she's on her way back to Kilimanjaro next year in 24. You've talked about the mission and your passion project, which I love, and I want to highlight any opportunity by anybody on this show, especially when they use the outdoors and the beauty of Mother Nature to help mm-hmm. do this. And you talk about the struggle that these kids have, and you talked about your struggle on Kilimanjaro the first time. I've known many who have gone, many have summited, but I also know people that are world-class athletes that haven't made it up Kilimanjaro. Why is it so tough? You know, it's always the altitude, right? I mean, and and, and I love the, before I went this first time, I, I remember you actually and Kevin both saying to me, man, you got to try a hundred times more than you think, right? Like you have to, we want you to be prepared. Actually, I think the words were, we want you to be over-prepared so you'll enjoy it. And certainly that's the way um, I trained, but the thing you can't train for is altitude. Right. There's just no, you have no clue how your body's going to do at 19,000 feet, right? And so, um, and, and every time, 
time on the mountain, I guess it, it's, uh, I have a mountain climbing friend and he's like, you just never know what the mountain is going to give you. And it's true. Uh, you know, the first time we summited, it was you know, negative 20 at the top and I was puking from 16,000 feet all the way up to 19. Uh, the second time we went, I went uh, in 2020, actually January of 2020, we summited and I had no altitude problems at all. It was an amazing climb. And yet at the top that we were full on blizzard for a good three hours of hiking. It was absolutely incredible. Um, but, uh, but really it's the altitude. You, you, you just can't plan for it. You can do everything that you can to hydrate and know how your body's going to respond if you do have high altitude sickness, but there's just no, there's just no planning it for sure. Unlike other seven summits around the world, uh, Kilimanjaro, obviously in Africa, the tallest point in Africa, uh, I, I have a huge fascination with those that have attempted to climb the seven summits. The unique thing yeah, about Kilimanjaro is that you go through all four of your climate zones. Explain that. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually quite amazing. You know, you start in the rainforest right at the bottom of the mountain and it's, you know, it couldn't be anywhere from 80 to 90, maybe 100 degrees in that rainforest. Um, beautiful. You know, you see monkeys and uh, you truly are in, you know, waterfalls and just absolutely gorgeous. Um, you ascend uh, to through the moorlands. There's a beautiful area that you th- wouldn't think it's beautiful, but it's desert like and totally different vegetation in this area. Um, you know, you keep going up and by the time that you summit, so uh, you you essentially stop for a rest because you can't sleep at 15,000 feet, but you stop and rest at about 15,000 feet. And from there up, most of the hikes that you do up Kilimanjaro will start in the middle of the night. Um, so we did summit push the first two times I did it was 26 total miles and 36 hours. So I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. I just threw up a little bit in my mouth because (laughs) I know what you just said there. Those Alpine starts the trek to get to the top. Um, It's a full mental game more than it's sometimes more than physical because your body can adjust. You know, you've trained, but your mind plays tricks on you and especially with the altitude. So I am so grateful that we're having this conversation, but I want to switch gears just a little bit to the more personal. You talked about the passion for these kids, but you have organized these trips or been a part of these organized trips that are formally raising money. How does one go about doing that? I know there's organizations and other causes, but you know, this is kind of like you've recruited a lot of other people and what do they, what does their response? Responsibility. What is each team member's responsibility and how does somebody go about wanting to do this if they have their own passion project? I love that. Yeah. So this um, this definitely is a, was a grassroots thing. Um, the organization that I serve um, on the board of, it's called CMS International. They, CMS sends missionaries all over the world. And that that's the organization that I originally did this climb with in twenty in twenty seventeen. Um, when I got back, I kind of approached them and said, "What what if I what if I lead a climb?" Um, and thankfully, I had folks before me that you know that had said, "Well, kind of this is how you do it." They had a playbook, if you will, of, of how to lead and how to guide. And you know, I I had done it one other time before, and so. Um, I had a lot of help from CMF. They're an amazing organization and uh, truly couldn't couldn't have done it without them and some folks in the past. I also recruited two other people to, to help me lead that climb that had also climbed in the past. And 
we we really conquered it together. Um, we then invited uh, essentially people from all over the world um, to hike, and that's where we are uh, today as well. Uh, we have 35 people from all over the country. Actually, we have two people, three people that are international, somebody from Japan, two people from Kenya that are all climbing Kilimanjaro with us in, 20, in July of 24. Uh, each person uh, has their own uh, fundraising goals. They'll each try to raise $5,000 for this project and what we're raising money for. We have done five climbs so far. Um, that is five climbs with about a thousand donors, um, about 90 previous climbers. We've raised about a little over half a million dollars um, and built last July two uh, turf soccer fields in the middle of the slum in Nairobi. Today, 11,000 kids um, do uh, sports ministry on those fields, soccer sports ministry on those fields every day. Um, and it's, so and it's amazing. It is amazing. And, you know, this is what I love about these organic stories here. You never probably imagined that you'd be on top of one of the seven summits. You probably never <laughs> no. thought you'd do it again. But I also know that you are an adventurer, an adventuresome soul. So it probably piqued something in you. And here, look what you just said, a half a million dollars, nearly a thousand climbers all organically generated because of a passion, a heartfelt passion that you had and others, not just you. But if somebody is out there that says, man, I'd like to do this. I have a cause. I want to try something like Mm -hmm. this. Who should they get in touch with? You know, I I think that just asking the way that uh, I did, it was just asking a lot of questions, right? Like it, it just really started with questions that I couldn't answer in my own heart. And, you know, I'm a faithful a faithful person, and I do feel like this is really God's leading for my life and, um, you know, a different part of the story, but certainly I could not have done this in my in my own talents. Uh, I'm, as you said, I was not a climber before that. I'm a banker from central Indiana. Uh, I'd never hiked anything when I signed up to, to climb Kilimanjaro. I'm not a sports person, and I'm not a pastor, or uh, nor do I play soccer. So um, this is really definitely... <laughs> God, you threw that in there. But you're a heck of a nice person and you got a great heart. Don't don't keep knocking yourself down. You know, when you fall in love, right? No matter what you fall in love with, you'll do anything, right? You'll do anything. Well, I'm familiar with the concept. (laughs) (laughs) And so, really, I just think it it was just that. I think what stirred in me was just that um, when you get knocked down, keep going. Right. Like if you run into a wall and you're trying to do something, just keep going. Uh, Five years. I can't believe it's been five years. Uh, And I promise you, uh, not only climbing the mountain, but also doing this project, I've wanted to quit about a thousand times. But I just don't quit. I just keep going. Pick myself up continue. Somebody else will help me. Somebody else will bring us along. I'll get introduced to another person. You know, God will open a door for me um, where I didn't even think. I constantly think things are impossible. And that is absolutely not true. Kristen Hodge, our guest, Hoosier, uh, multi- talented let's just call it that way repeat <laughs> summit uh of kilimanjaro have you thought about doing something else somewhere in the world or is nairobi your passion yeah. for going forward well you know we've uh, great question i we've done um a hike or climb three times across the grand canyon rim to rim so um when we when covid happened if you right, were really a badass you would have done it rim to rim to rim like i did but that's okay well <laughs> the first time i did it rim to rim to rim and then i thought that's enough and the next few times 
times we just did it rim to rim. It's still, <laughs> but, uh, it, you want to talk about seeing all God's glory. Holy amazing. smokes. My word. Yeah. You, you know, you can Absolutely go to the, you can go to the rim and look down in it, but when you're down there and up there and in all that crevices and crannies, it is the most stunning, spectacular place I've ever been. There's nothing like it. And, you know, they say that only 1% of the people that um, go to the Grand Canyon um, visit the bottom. And it is true, right? Like, it is such a place where you can just be, uh, I, I say to a friend of mine, I feel like I'm hidden, right, in the in the cleft of the rock. Well, it's the only um, place you can go from, except for Kilimanjaro, you go from hypothermia uh, at the start to dehydration at the bottom because you go from right. 20, 30 degrees to 110, and then you're it's just, it's horrible. Hey, real quickly, right before the, the time river. that we have left, if if somebody's interested maybe joining you um could i and they want to reach out to me i can get them to you would that be okay absolutely absolutely this our climb this time is full but um i i am fully ready to start making uh oh, look at making you. waiting lists look for, at you for future climbs Kristen Hodge, it's so great to visit with you. Merriest of holiday seasons. And we probably are going to be back in touch with you because I want to follow this story. And uh, happiest of holidays to you and those who are traveling on with you. And we'll do this again, okay? Sounds great, friend. No no great worries whatsoever. Indeed, indeed. Thank you so much. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Don't you dare think about going anywhere, because now we're going to talk a little bit with our friends at Ducks Unlimited and getting a waterfowl update. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. Oh, what a great day. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. So great to be with you in this beautiful Christmas season. Hopefully, you remember the reason for the season amongst all the chaos. I look forward to bringing you this program, and we have several more to go here before the end of the year. But as mentioned at the top of the hour, some of my favorite groups, some of my favorite people come out of Ducks Unlimited, and it's the end of the year, and uh, no better time. Maybe if you're planning a little philanthropy, all the organizations out there, the deer, the ducks, the turkeys, the elks, the quail, the pheasant, they all need money and protecting for conservation, but Ducks Unlimited waterfowl season is in. Joining me now is Josh Hall. He is the Senior Regional Director for Northern Indiana. Regular guest here on Indiana Outdoors. Josh, how you been? I'm good, Brian. Thanks for having me. Well, it's always great to visit with you, and I appreciate you taking some time, all my friends at Ducks Unlimited over the years. Anybody who has known me over these 24 or 5 years we've been doing this show, Ducks Unlimited has a very special place in my heart. Remember, as a very young man, my dad took me to Ducks Unlimited dinners, and there was something about the culture, the people, the uh, just the conversations that I was drawn to, and it's been something that's been a part of my life and resulting in multiple lifetime friendships and hunting adventures and just great camaraderie. So I have a great soft spot for Ducks Unlimited, and I know you do too, but thought we'd catch up here with you and find out how was 23 and what are you looking forward to in 24 and probably most importantly you're going to get out and chase some ducks 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, we've been kind of on a on a, a heck of a streak here. Um, you know, about seven years ago, we've, we've got about twelve hundred volunteers across the state, forty some chapters, and uh, we had a goal of raising a million dollars for conservation in the calendar year. And uh, seven years ago, we were able to hit that, and since then, have continued to grow. And then COVID hit and really kind of took us back as a lot of nonprofits, particularly the Hook and Bullets, um, but have been able to bounce back. And actually, this year has been our you know last year was our best year to date. Um, our volunteers raised about $1.8 million for conservation. And uh, this year we, we set a goal of $2 million. Now we're, you know, on the 11th hour and, and things are looking good here. Um, we should be able to hit that mark. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned before, those year-end gifts can always help. But things have been very good on the fundraising side. As you said, you know, conservation without any money just turns into a conversation. So if we're going to do the work we like to do, um, it does take financial backing. And our volunteers have been fantastic about providing that for us. So that's the big news in Indiana DU right now is striving for $2 million by the end of the year. So, Josh Hall, our guest from Ducks Unlimited. And if you break down and sound out a little bit what he just said there, that is an unbelievable run to double the goal from just seven years ago. And the need for conservation, the need for all of these organizations to do, you said, to do the work involves money and no better organization to more efficient organization i should say than ducks unlimited and that i'm very proud of the, to know where your dollars are going when you come to these events or you sponsor or you come to some outing that's sponsored by ducks unlimited so you talk about the work tell people that may not be familiar with ducks unlimited what you do yeah, so uh, we are a, a volunteer-driven organization, so we're a grassroots funding organization. So volunteers across the nation hold events, raffles, all those things that you're probably familiar with with Ducks Unlimited. Uh, we take that money, and then we use science-based information to go out and deliver conservation for wetland and waterfowl-associated habitats. Um, one of the big challenges for us, um, you know, every, as you mentioned before, Every hook and bullet, whether it be turkeys, pheasants, quail, trout, everybody has challenges in front of them and could use your support and love. However, ours is a little different in that we have migratory waterfowl. So, you know, we it, it's the landscape is very large. We do work from, you know, the Boreal, the, the upper Canadian prairies, all the way down to Central America and the, and the wintering grounds and everything in between. So, um, you know, that's a little different, a huge scale of, a, of an issue that we have to come, you know, to. to you mean you don't? You just don't you just don't corral them up and keep them in in check. You just have to worry about these birds going you know, wherever they um, want, right? I get those calls occasionally, <laughs> particularly on the seasons where mild weather. I get some buddies down south that said, you know, open the cages and such. But um, if it was that easy, you know, we'd probably have more. But no, no, it's a uh, it, it's 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 a continental scale is, is what we look at. So it's it comes with a price and comes with a lot of work. But um, you know, it, it's I always like to look at it, it, your your micro, you know, thirty thousand foot view. When you get a little closer, uh, what we're doing in Indiana is is the reason I got involved in Ducks Unlimited, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And uh, the reason I still, you know, give my time and money. Um, it, it, it's to date, you know, Indiana is never going to be known as a duck state. Um, the, the duck hunters here are, are incredibly passionate, incredibly proud, but I don't see a lot of people planning, you know, in the summertime, their Indiana duck trip. You know, nobody's coming here to take our few ducks or anything, but we're still very fond of it. And we know it plays a big part in the grand, you know, scheme of things. And to date, Indiana has invested, or Indiana Ducks Limited has invested over $18 million right here in Indiana, which has allowed us to conserve over 30 some thousand acres. And what I, I, as a duck hunter here in Indiana myself, um, a vast majority 
majority of that falls on public domain. You know, if you go to our fish and wildlife areas across the state, be it Willow Slough, Kankakee, LaSalle, you know, Goose Pond, Hovey, Muscatatuck and such, that's where we're doing our work and, and what we're going to continue to do with partnerships with the DNR and other organizations. So it's a lot of moving parts, but it's what it takes to have a few more ducks in the air. Josh, let's talk a bit about Indiana because one of the things that I've been most proud of, and I said, I heard what you said, and I would not disagree with you, but I tell you the duck hunting here is as good as you're going to get in most places. Um, It's not a Mississippi flyway, and we have some great places. However, um, you know, the work that you guys do in these places is so critically important that it helps not just the ducks, but every species, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the turkeys, the deer, clean water, everything that is a result of this. And you guys do it so efficiently. And yet Indiana has a huge history with Ducks Unlimited, two national, maybe even more, two or three national presidents. I think I read one year that Indiana proportionately buys more duck hunting federal duck stamps than just about any other state. And yet, as you said, we're not known as a duck hunting state. I feel that that's a great message of conservation that the people that buy these federal duck stamps and contribute to these things know you do good work. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, we, it, it is very neat. We have a long history. You know, we've had two national presidents have worked up, several board members, um, a lot of very influential volunteers coming up. But yeah, the hunting, I mean, it, it's, you can have good hunts in Indiana. Um, your bird totals aren't going to be like what you see in Louisiana, Arkansas, particularly out West as the migration seems to be shifting. Uh, but those that are here are very good duck hunters. I always say, if you stand in line at a draw, take one of those guys out um, and put him in any other state, he's going to be able to harvest ducks right next to anybody. I mean, they're, they're right. good, they're passionate, and they do their part for conservation. That's that's what's neat. And then your other point, you know, we, we are bird nerds. We're, we're worried about ducks. Everything we do is science-based and is all around ducks. If it, it benefits ducks, that's our sole purpose, you know. Uh, singularity of purpose is what we always call, 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 excuse me, call it, so that we stay on track with what our donors, what our volunteers want us to be working on. However, there are so many peripheral benefits to wetlands. Uh, wetlands are our most diverse biome and offer it. So whether you're a duck hunter, squirrel hunter, turkey hunter, um, anything you enjoy in the outdoors, your contributions to DU and improved wetland habitat is going to benefit you, whether directly or indirectly. Um, and then, you know, we can always go talk about clean water, which is going to become a bigger issue as we go on. But it's just these peripheral benefits that, you know, the dollar spent with DU, I always feel is a great ROI for you. Let's uh, give a commercial here if people are interested in volunteering time talent or treasure with ducks unlimited where do they get in touch with you josh the easiest way is to go www.ducksducks.org and it'll be an easy website to go through if you click on the tab for indiana it'll have upcoming events it'll give you the opportunity to find local chapters give you more uh, statistics on what we're doing and where we're doing our work and uh, should give you a really great breakdown of the the how and why of ducks unlimited and remember remember du and your year in giving and planning i'm sure that commercial is going to raise your eyebrows because that's something near and dear to you and i look forward to talking to you and all the other fine folks at ducks unlimited after the first of the year and i hope you get out and chase a few around yourself you too thank you brian appreciate it my pleasure josh hall one of the hardest working nicest guys with ducks unlimited thanks for his attention this morning thank you it is the indiana outdoor show brought to you by indiana donor network driven to save lives.org i your host brian pointer we're going to be back speaking of waterfowl adam phelps waterfowl biologist for indiana joins me right after this 
happiest of holidays, merriest of Christmas, this time of the year. So great to be with you. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. And I am your host, Brian Pointer. What a great show. Kristen Hodge raising money for some needy schools in Nairobi and climbing Kilimanjaro. Great story. Great Hoosier. Just kind of a little badass, actually. And Josh Hall with Ducks Unlimited. Sounds like everybody is doing well this time of the year. The health of Ducks Unlimited never been better. Speaking of waterfowl, I invite our friend Adam Phelps, who is Indiana's waterfowl biologist, to join me now. Adam, it's been a minute. How you been? Been doing well, yourself? I love this time of the year, and I know a lot of waterfowlers around uh, Indiana love this time of the year as well. Deer season maybe is in the rearview window for some, and they switch over to ducks, geese, and the migratory stuff. So I just thought I'd reach out and see what you have to say. So how are things in the uh, in Indiana along the flyway and the health in the Great Lakes here? Well, um I've been talking lately to some of my colleagues around the country and uh, it's still, it's still pretty warm to our North for a lot of folks. So I'm not sure. um, I haven't been, unfortunately been able to keep track real closely of, of what migration looks like in Indiana over the last few weeks. But I know down by us down in Bloomington, we've been getting a little bit of rain, but it's still pretty dry. Um, And I, again, with warmer temperatures still to our North, I'm not sure that people are seeing a ton of birds yet. I've heard the same. And, uh, you know, if you had a chance to listen to Josh Hall with Ducks Unlimited just a while ago, he talked about a couple things that I was going to wait to you. But he talked he, he invoked the name of the boreal forest up in, Cal- in uh, Canada. And we've heard over the last couple of years of drought and Mother Nature and her perfect plan. You know, the prairie potholes maybe have dried up a little bit, but they moved to a different part of Canada. What's the drought situation like and what's it been this spring and summer? Well, you know, as I said, we're pretty dry in Indiana. Um, it was it was a pretty dry spring in a lot of in a lot of Prairie Canada. Yeah. You know, the water used to move around. It um, a little bit drier, I think, on balance than the year before. But you know, different spots got a little bit more water. Other places dried out on balance, probably a little bit drier. Um, I think when those birds overfly the prairies when it's super dry and they go to the boreal they're a little bit less productive it's a little bit harder to make baby ducks when you go that far north than it is in the prairies so um you know it's kind of a, the downside of the water uh being further north in the prairies adam phelps is our waterfowl biologist and i know you've talked about some of your colleagues and conversations and um it has been it's been a weird season it's not been cold enough yet i don't think to bring some of these birds down folks are giving it a good college try out there but it's also a good thing because we've had early years where ponds and lakes and other things freeze and limits where these ducks can go so we haven't had that yet but it's coming and as you are talking with your colleagues around the midwest the upper great lakes here what are some of the concerns that you guys are talking about not just now but maybe looking ahead if anything i mean yeah so you know the avian influenza is always on the radar now after the last couple of years and so far it's been all reports are that it's been really quiet um but that can that can change especially with cold weather you know when birds get the flu it's very similar to us it's a cold weather disease it lasts very well in cold water and it passes more quickly and of course in states like indiana iowa minnesota where there's huge poultry um, production facilities, 
those folks are super, uh, they get super nervous about even influenza coming in from wild birds. So that's something that I think everybody's kind of in the back of our minds. We haven't seen much of it yet this fall, but you never know. And sometimes when we get it, it's, it's a little bit later in the season. I know the first time I remember having the, the real bad outbreak, um, it hit uh, the first week in January. So that's always kind of in the back of my mind, whether we're going to get a good dose of avian influenza in the winter. Yeah, we've heard about that. I mean, seems like lately what we turn into is is a show talking about disease, whether it's the deer and the EHD, the uh, chronic wasting disease, always a concern for biologists. And it doesn't surprise me that you talked about avian flu because we've had some of that outbreak here and it affected not just the migratory stuff, but the domestic turkey population. And people don't realize Indiana is a tremendous producer of turkeys. Uh, that was made headline news. But hopefully that stays away. Are you going to get out and try to chase a few yourself? I guess probably, um, you know, it's, it gets tougher every year. It feels like to find the time. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping to, when I get back, are you planning or has there been any conversation, any discussion? Obviously this year is set, but going forward, everybody asks about bag limits and season dates, and it's a complex uh, algorithm that you guys as biologists use. And I'm not asking you to explain it here, but, um, anything in the, future that might affect Hoosier hunters when it comes to migratory waterfowl? So, I mean, I guess the big thing is that we, we set since 2015, we set the seasons um, based on the previous year's status. So we already know um, what the, well, I shouldn't say we know, but we think we know we, what should be the recommendation for seasons next year. And it'll be very similar to what we had this year. Um, the, the, uh, prairie conditions and the duck numbers. Duck numbers were down for almost every species, but not sort of uh, dangerously so by any means. Something most birds are just below the average. Some of them are still above. So we're looking at the similar similar seasons for next year. Um, and of course, beyond that, who knows? Because it'll it'll depend on what next year's surveys look like for the 2025 seasons, which is the next thing we'll be thinking about. Adam Phelps is Indiana's migratory waterfowl biologist and i always value the expertise of you and your colleagues and we rely on it to get information out to people is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to create a message for i don't think so um you know it's just as as always we are at the mercy of of nature more so than most other species you know most resident game species and so when uh when we get weather it's great and when it's dry and warm (laughs) then it's not and there's not much we can do about that you went all the way to buy all the way through biology school and that was the greatest summary i've ever heard that's all you had to say (laughs) i love it adam phelps always great to visit with you on the indiana outdoor show i wish you the merriest of christmas seasons and i hope that we connect soon and you uh, put a few mallards big fat mallards in your bag Thank you, sir. You too. Have a great one. Adam Phelps, one of the best. We have him here in Indiana as our Indiana migratory waterfowl biologist. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to savelives.org. Don't you think about turning that. We're going to be back right after this. So much fun, but so little time. Why do I say that each and every week? Oh, 
if only I had all day to talk about Indiana Outdoors, it would be so much fun. But I can't. I got to go out and Christmas shop. I got to do things like everybody else. But Indiana Outdoors will go on each and every week. And we're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Sign up to be that organ and tissue donor when you buy your hunting and fishing license. Couldn't be any easier. You can help save up to eight lives and heal dozens more with that donation. And we're making progress for sure. As I have been saying, uh, and the message continues, just remember the reason as we for this season, instead of getting caught up in all the hoopla, go out and do something fun. Maybe visit a state park. Go out with your family and just enjoy Mother Nature and all her glory. Thank you to Kristen Hodge, and uh, best of luck to her and her crew that's going to be climbing Kilimanjaro. I love those passion project stories. Josh Hall gives us a report on Ducks Unlimited. He is one of my favorites. They are one of my favorites, and uh, time, talent, and treasure, wherever we can give it for the uh, conservation efforts, always appreciated. Adam Phelps, our biologist in the state of Indiana for Migratory Waterfowl, great to hear. Looks like it may be spotty. That's my prediction. Nonetheless, remember to turn in a poacher, everybody. 1-800-TIP-I-D-N-R. It's a free call. Do what you need to do. Be safe. Enjoy this beautiful outdoor cold weather. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. See you next week, everybody. 